The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. chapter 5. You guys with me this morning? Yeah. Everybody awake and caffeinated? It's 11.30. You should be good, right? You're good. 11.30, you've had a couple of cups of coffee, right? Good to go. You've had a five-hour energy, a bang, whatever you had to do. You did it already. You're ready. You're ready. So glad to have you with us today. We're continuing our series, Kingdom Manifesto. We've been spending the last four weeks talking about the Sermon on the Mount, this, this incredible message that Jesus gave us that if you read the whole thing, it only takes about 15 to 18 minutes to go through the whole thing. And yet we're going to spend 10 weeks on this series because there's so much in it. it is, it's incredible how impactful the words of Jesus are. And uh, it is important that we remember that it was one sermon because each thing kind of builds on the other thing. So today, as we, as we look at what God is going to say today in Matthew 5, 21 through 48, it's important that we remember what God said last week, what we read last week. So let me just remind you of that. Last week, my wife, Sarah, taught a message uh, about moral law and righteousness. And uh, how many of you dudes in here, your wife's made you throw away some Abercrombie cargo shorts this week? Anybody? <laughs> I'm not raising my hand because I didn't have to do that. I moved on, people. Okay, some of you, it's time to throw away the yellow cargo swim trunks that you're getting ready to pull out for summer. It's over, okay? It's over. Abercrombie is over. Tell the person beside you, say, it's over. It's over. But she talked about this idea that Jesus unpacks that we have to move beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees, that we got to move beyond just trying to do all this in our ability and then we're to put on the new nature. That was the whole point. Like, Quit putting on the old nature, put on the new nature, that Jesus has made it possible that we can dress ourselves in the righteousness of Christ Jesus, that we can put on this new nature and live out of that new nature to the world around us. And uh, so if you missed that message, make sure you go back and listen to it. I love what someone said to, to Sarah. She talked about in the message, that, like her message last week was like putting on the primer. And like when you're priming a room, painting a room, and you put on that primer. But someone came up to her and they were like, it's, but it may be primer, but it's like that, that nice primer, like that thick, expensive primer you put on. And then you, you step back and you're like, you know what? This is good. Like we could just, we could just be done here with the primer, but we ain't done. We're going we're gonna to build on what Sarah laid out for us last week by, by looking at today, the heart behind obedience. And I want to talk to you about this flow that God wants to have working through our life, how we can fix the flow of our heart. You know, your heart is a big deal. The heart is a big deal. The Bible says this in Proverbs 4.23. It says, guard your heart. Somebody say, guard your heart. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Your heart is a big deal. And when the Bible talks about your heart here, it's not talking about the physical, you know, muscle that is pumping blood through your life. It's really talking about what's called your soul, which is the, the seat of your appetites. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. How many of you know uh, when your mind ain't right, when your emotions ain't right, when your will ain't right, you ain't right? Like you can have a lot of good stuff going on around you, but if your mind ain't right, you ain't right. You can be in a really great place. You can, you can be married to a beautiful wife, but if you've got a bent towards lust and pornography, even though you've got a great marriage, you ain't right. 
You with me? If your mind ain't right, you ain't right. And so it's important that we bring this stuff into agreement with God's will and his purposes, that we deal with the stuff that may be hurting us and keeping us from the life God's called us to. So he says, guard your heart so that we don't allow this, the wrong stuff to be flowing through us. So think about your, God's not talking specifically about your heart, but I want you to think about your heart for just a moment. In fact, put your hand on your heart. Feel your heart pumping. Hopefully your heart is pumping right now. What's your heart doing? Your heart is pumping blood through your body. And that blood is a source of life to your body. Thousands of years before scientists and doctors discovered this, we're told in Leviticus that life is in the blood. You can take your hand off your heart now. <laughs> the very source of life is found in your blood. And so what your heart does is it pumps through your body this flow of blood that brings life to your body, your, your mind. It, blood brings uh, your ability to think the right kind of thoughts. You don't have blood pumping through your hands, your fingers, like th those parts of your body can die and can like be like damage can be done. You got the wrong kind of blood in your body, poison blood, bad blood. It can do damage to you. So the right flow is important. And so think about your, your, when it talks about the heart and talking about your soul, it's kind of like the command center of your life. And what you have flowing in your soul, what's going on in your mind, your will and emotions is going to affect your life. It's going to affect the life you're living and it's going to affect the life that you display to the world around you. Because just like if you've got bad blood, it's going to affect how you can run the race that you're called to run. Like you can't get out of bed if you don't got bad blood, if you got bad blood. So it's a big deal. We got to take care of this. We got to deal with our, 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 our soul. We got to do uh, the work that God's inviting us to do. And so God's going to invite us to this idea of obedience today. And he's going to give us these six areas that he's inviting us to walk out obedience. Now, these six areas kind of represent, we're going to talk about these areas, but they kind of represent all the different areas that we need to make sure we have the, the right heart. Because if we can get the right heart, the obedience God's calling us to do can be taken care of. If your heart ain't right, you ain't right. So we've got to fix our flow. Look at the person beside you and say, we've got to fix our flow. We've got to make sure we've got the right stuff flowing through our life, the right stuff going on in our soul, pumping through our, through our life into the world around us. So Jesus is going to address these six areas. And as he does this, he's going to blow up some of the norms like of normal life, like some of the normal stuff that's going on in the world. In fact, Jesus will say something over and over again throughout these passages. He'll say, you've heard it said, but I say to you, what he's saying in that is this may be the pattern of the world. This may be the trend of the world. This may be what everyone else is doing in the world. But I say to you, because listen, we ain't called to live according to the world. We are invited to a kingdom of God. We're called to be the people of the kingdom who bring the kingdom down. We don't live culture up. We don't live kingdom up. We live kingdom down. We're bringing God's kingdom into this world through our Life. So Jesus is going to help us to understand what that looks like by looking at these seven or these six different areas of life. So we've got six areas. We've got 35 minutes. You guys ready? Yeah. All right, let's pray and let's jump into it. Lord, we love you. Thank you that your word is a powerful life-giving force. And we come to your word today and we say, Lord, that we want to be changed. We want to be renewed. We want to be transformed. We want to put on the new nature that you've invited us to put on. And so we invite you to speak to every person in this room. I pray, God, that you would use me over the next few minutes to minister your life and your word in a, in a way where people can get a revelation for who you are and what you're inviting us to. Lord, I, I pray that these next few moments would not be about me, 
They would not be about the church. They would be about you, Lord Jesus. Let you be glorified. And we thank you for what you're going to do. We give you all the praise and the glory and the honor for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Let's jump right into this. Number one, first thing Jesus addresses, first heart issue he addresses is anger. Matthew 5, 21. You've heard it said that it was said of those old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. I'll stop right here. I think we can all agree that murder is wrong. Someone please say amen. amen. <laughs> like, okay. Um, yeah, murder's wrong. <laughs> we don't, and I think we'd all agree that if we could like eradicate murder, that would be a good thing. But remember, Jesus is talking about the heart issue. He's getting to the heart of the matter because the, murder is like something that takes place way down the line. And when I talk about murder, and I, and I believe God is not just inviting us to this idea of just not killing other people with our physical, like actually physically killing people, but, but like the words that we say, the way that we live that may be like killing other people on a soul level. And so as he addresses this issue of murder, he starts by addressing this issue of anger. Because if you take a note, you ought to write this down. Before murder finds action in someone's hands, anger finds accommodation in someone's heart. Before murder finds action in someone's hands, anger finds accommodation in someone's heart. We want to deal with murder. We want to deal with violence. We want to deal with some of these things that plague our world today. It's not just dealing with them at that level. It's dealing with them at the greater level where they're started and they are started in anger. So Jesus says, verse 22, I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, somebody say Raka, shall be in danger of the council. And whoever says, you fool, someone say, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Hell, shall be in danger of hellfire, saying you fool, right? Like we kind of hear that and we're like, whoa, that seems a little like you fool. But you have to understand what Jesus is saying. We don't really understand it. Like we don't know, probably not many of you are in here are saying raka. You have no idea what that means. Raka is kind of like when you call somebody, you know, like you're talking to a buddy or something, they do something stupid. You're like, dude, you're such an idiot. You know what I mean? Like you're not necessarily in, like calling someone's character into question. You're just kind of like, you're, you're, you're so dumb. What are you doing? Like that's that kind of idea. But then you fool is a greater level of insult. When someone says you fool, this idea of you fool means that you're calling someone, uh, you're insulting someone at a character level, who they are as a person. And you're not just insulting them at that level, you're, you're also combining that with the worst curse words you could think of and the worst racial slurs you could think of. So this is like hate speech. When it says you fool, it's, it's hate speech. It's, it's, it's this stuff that we sometimes allow into our heart that we don't deal with. Because whether, whether or not you're actually saying those kind of ugly things in the world and, and just having those things and harboring those things are two different things. And what, what happens is sometimes we allow, we make allowances to allow some of this stuff to be in our heart. But the problem is if it's in our heart, eventually it'll come out in our hands. Yes. And we've seen this. It's kind of like, you know, if I was to give you a big beach ball and I, and I was to take you to the pool and I was like, hey, keep that, keep that beach ball under the water. You, know, you can go out there and you can get on top of that beach ball and you can kind of work it for a while and keep it down. But how many know eventually it's going to pop up? 
And what happens in the world is we, we allow some of this stuff in our heart and we're able to kind of keep it hidden for a while. We're able to keep maybe some racism that we have, maybe some, something we don't like about a political party or a certain kind of people and their view, even sometimes related to, to things against the word of God where we just say to these people, because you don't agree with the word of God, I, I hate that way of living. I hate that stuff so bad as we kind of bury it underneath us. But then something happens in our life and it pops up. And we see even people in the church doing stuff and we're going, whoa, what was that? And they're like, oh, I didn't really mean it. You kind of did because it was in your heart. And so how do we deal with it? How do we deal with this? If you're sitting here today going, you know, I may, I may have some of this in me. What, what do I do to deal with this? Well, Jesus tells us what to do. Verse 23, therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, verse 24, leave your gift before you before the altar and go your way. Notice these, these action steps. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. And notice what he says there. Remember that your brother has something against you. It's not even that you have something against them. It's that you, there may be someone that has something against you. So you're at church, you know, you've come to church, you've come ready. You served first service. You, you brought your tithe, you dropped it in the offering box, you're, you're here, you're lifting up songs of praise, day and night, let incense arise, like you're going for it. I don't even know what this incense is, but God, I'm in it. It's, by the way, that's your, that's your praise, it's a fragrance to the Lord, it's your love, it's a sweet fragrance to his nose, just so you guys know. But you're doing that, and it's like, oh, all of a sudden, like this, this thing just kind of crosses your mind of like, oh, that person... Like, I got a problem with that person or they got a problem with me. And what God says is he says, when that, when you realize that, what I'm in, what God says to deal with that, it's not to just say, okay, God, forgive me or let them forgive me. It's not just pray. It's go do something about it. It's to go and reconcile that relationship, to take steps, go and leave and do something to deal with it. Like Paul says, when at all possible, walk in peace. Now listen, it may not always be possible. There may be people that don't want to forgive, that don't want to forget, that don't want to move on. But, a, but as far as it pertains to you, my question is, are you doing everything you can as far as it pertains to you to reconcile and walk with peace with other people? Even if you make the effort and they don't return it, at least you made the effort and you're doing your part. But this is what we do. This is how we deal with those areas where we've allowed anger to find root in our heart. Like it's not enough to just say, forget, Lord, forgive them, forgive me. Like you gotta do something. It's in the doing, it's in reaching out and having that conversation. And I get it, it'll be awkward. I get it, it may be weird. I get it, it may be in a long time and you may feel like, oh, it's, it's kind of, but, but it's in doing that that we're able to uproot the stuff inside of us that could be hurting us. Because see, you have bitterness and anger against someone else. Here's where it normally comes out. It comes out against the people you love. You have something with a, pro a problem with this person way over here. And you're like, well, I'm not even thinking about them anymore. But because you've allowed that to be rooted in your heart, it's coming out with the people that you care about. It's coming out in your family. It's coming out with your spouse. So we have to uproot it. Jesus says that a kingdom heart living from the new nature of Jesus Christ doesn't just avoid the expression of anger. It's a heart that refuses to let the roots of anger grow at all. Let's go to the next thing. The second issue Jesus addresses is lust. Lust. Matthew 5, 27. You have heard it said that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. Now, once again, church, I think we can all agree adultery is bad, right? 
You guys amen quick on that one. <laughs> yes, right. Got it. Yep. Okay. But it is like, it's never good. It's never good. It, it does damage. It hurts families. It breaks apart marriages. It does damage to children. It's degrading. Adultery is always bad. But remember, once again, we're like, Jesus is talking about these big, like 10 commandments type issues here as he starts off. But he's, he's speaking to the greater issue of the heart, pointing us back to the greater issue of the heart. Because just like how, how murder is this expression of anger, adultery is this expression of lust. And adultery finds action in the life of a person who through, who through selfishness has made allowances that have cultivated a life of lust, a heart of lust. So we have a heart full of lust and it leads us. You don't just wake up in bed with another person. You've made allowances that have led you towards that moment. And so Jesus addresses that. He says in verse 28, but I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, just so you know, this is a massive issue today in the world. This issue of like sexual lust, uh, pornography, it's, it's wild how big of a problem this is, not only in the world, but in the church world as well. It's a massive, massive issue. And, and, and people make a lot of allowances for it and make a lot of excuses for it, but it's damaging and it's hurting us. And we have to deal with it and think about it the right way. See, part of what, when you're, when you're operating and living from this, this place of lust, sexual lust, one of the things that you're doing in that moment is you're objectifying. And you're looking at men and women who were made in the image of God and rather than seeing them as men and women, brothers and sisters, daughters and sons in the family of God that were made for God's good pleasure to bring glory to him, you begin to start looking at them and objectifying them and seeing them as objects for your good pleasure. And in doing so, here's what you do. You sit yourself on your own little throne and you become your own God. And everybody else becomes a means to the end of you having your desires met through other people. And so here's, here's, here's a big part of this problem. When you are on the throne of your heart, guess who ain't on the throne of your heart? God. So you become a God you worship before God. We think it's just, oh, I just got a little problem here. But no, no, no. It's a big deal. This, it's, it's not just adultery, it's idolatry. You shall have no other God before me. Some of us, we make ourselves our own little God. So how do we deal with this? Jesus tells us. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. Now, you hear this and you're like, okay, Jesus is inviting us to be like amputees. That's not what he's saying here. Because <laughs> listen, if you cut off your right arm and you're, you pluck out your right eye and you got a problem with lust, guess what you're still going to have? Problem with lust. You know why? You got a left arm and a left eye. But listen, you cut off that left arm. You pluck out that left eye. You cut off all your members. You're still going to have a problem with lust. Why? Because lust ain't in your body parts. It's in your heart. It's in your, it's in your mind. It's in your thoughts. 
It's rooted there. So if you want to deal with it, you have to deal with it the right way. So what Jesus is saying by making these statements is he's, he's pointing us towards this radical approach to dealing with sin. And he's saying that you need to amputate anything that could be leading you towards lust. That's what he's saying. He's saying you need to take radical steps towards obedience and deal aggressively with the stuff that you're making allowances for. Deal with it. Make a big deal out of it. And I want you to know, I can't, I can't unpack this completely because I still got several more things to cover today. And I know this is a big issue. So a couple things I want you to know. If you're dealing with this issue, and I know many people are, if you are, I want you to know, we want to help you. Let us know. Reach out to the New Song Church. Let us know. We'd love to set up a time to meet with you. And one of our pastors could talk to you. We'd love to help you with this. Um, I also want you to know that as a church, we are working aggressively towards creating an entire ministry devoted to this to help uh, men in our church, young sons in our church. Listen, I, I get nervous about the next generation with what I'm seeing today. These, these young boys at a very young age who are just handed over phones with no accountability, no protection for that, that are being allowed to see all sorts of stuff that is doing incredible damage to their minds. Incredible damage to their minds. In fact, they, they've done research where they've, they've looked at the mind of a person addicted to pornography versus the mind of a person who's a cocaine addict. And guess who had more damage done to their mind? The porn addict. And yet we're just allowing this to go on. Like we've got to do something, church. And so we're, we're creating a whole ministry for this and we'll eventually move it in even to help women who are dealing with this and the, the issues related to this for women. So I can't unpack all of it, but I will say this. Three, three things. If you find yourself in this place where you're dealing with this, Three things that are important to remember. You find yourself dealing with sexual lust. Number one, you need to cut off your source. What's the source where you're finding stuff feeding this lust in you? Like, what do you need to do? And you need to take radical steps. Like, I'm amazed sometimes I'll talk to a guy or we'll have different pastors here on staff that'll talk to a guy in the church who's dealing with this. And we're like, okay, you need, to, you need to put some stuff on your phone. You need to get rid of some of your internet access. You, maybe you need to get a flip phone. You need to put your phone away at a certain time. And they're like, I can't do that. Like, I, I, I gotta have my phone. Are you serious? Well, I mean, it's my alarm clock. <laughs> really? Like, that's gonna be your excuse? Because I remember a time when we had these things called alarm clocks. <laughs> that you can get at Target for like five bucks. And guess what it does? You set it and it goes off. Like we, but, but we make excuses. And let me just tell you, you got some excuses, you're gonna find yourself bound. You gotta eliminate whatever it is, cut it off. Take radical steps. That's what Jesus is pointing to. Radical steps to amputate the stuff that's hurting you. Second thing you're gonna have to do is you're gonna have to renew your mind. Like I said, your mind has, there's been damage done to your mind, right. terrible damage done to your mind. So you're going to have to renew it. And, and part of how you renew it is you cut off the source. But the other way you renew it is you get into the word. The Bible talks about how you renew your mind with the word of God. The Bible talks about how the blood of Jesus has the ability to cleanse your conscience. That's your mind of dead works. So you get in the word, you begin to worship God, you begin to study the word of God, speak the word of God over yourself, and it begins to do a work in your mind that brings your right brain and your left brain and your limbic system into agreement with the mind of Christ. Somebody say amen. amen. Your mind is neuroplastic. It can be healed. 
And, and the blood of Jesus has the power to heal you in every aspect of your life, but you got to invite it in. And then you got to get real accountability, real accountability. Where you're talking to people, you're being real with people, you're inviting people in, you're asking questions, they're asking questions. If you want to deal with this, you got to deal with it. You got to go after it. You got to be aggressive with it. Here's the third issue. You guys good? Jesus is throwing some haymakers, right? Boom, man. Okay, here's the third one. Divorce. Matthew 5.31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a, certi a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So Jesus says, the way the world goes is one way. The world has this way of doing this. But I'm calling you to something different. We're not living from the kingdom of the world. We're living from a new kingdom. And what Jesus is calling us to is this idea where we champion marriage the way it's supposed to be championed. And we see divorce in a different way than the world sees divorce. You know, divorce is common in the world. And, and let me just tell you, it's common in the church. The statistics between the world and the church are similar related to divorce. And I think one of the reasons why is because we've made it common. Now listen, if you're here today and you've been through divorce, by no means am I trying to make you feel condemned. Jesus gives allowance and excuse, and the word does, for certain situations where divorce is necessary. But what Jesus is pointing us to is a heart position towards marriage that we should have and towards divorce. And let me just explain something to you. This idea of championing marriage isn't just something for you and your marriage. Like you, yes, you champion your marriage and fight for your marriage, but we're not just doing that. We're a community that fights for everybody's marriage. Whether you're married or not, you're single in the room, you should still be championing kingdom covenant marriage and fighting for that and wanting to see that fulfilled. And I want you to think about, think about a community where that's taking place. Think about how amazing that would be in a community where people are getting real with each other, where you have community. Here's what that looks like. That means if, if you're going to New Song Church here and you're in community, that you're going up to the, some of the other people that are married, husbands with husbands, wives with wives, and, and asking them questions like, hey, how you doing? How can I be praying for your marriage? What, what, what are you guys dealing with in this season of your marriage? What, what can I do for you during this season? It's where we look at people and we, some of us who are a little bit older, maybe we look at some of the younger people and we say, hey, why don't you let me watch your kids this weekend so you guys can go and have a date night or so you can go out that evening and do so. Like we're, we're for marriage, so we're positioning in our life ways to help build up kingdom marriage. And let me, let me also say this, if you're here and you're like, someday I'm gonna get married, it's gonna be great. And you wanna get married and you want New Song to be a part of it, this is why we make such a big deal out of premarital counseling. Like we're gonna insist, if you want New Song to be involved in marrying you, because listen, we're not here to perform a ceremony. My pastors are not here to perform a ceremony. They're here to help you to step into covenant relationship. This is not a con contractual agreement. This is a covenant relationship relationship where two people, the Bible says, become one flesh. It's a big deal. So we want to invite you into, into some premarital counseling. And when you go through premarital counseling, just so you know, we're going to get all up in your business. <laughs> because here's the thing. If you can be broken up, we're going to try to do it. <laughs> we are. Because I'd rather break you up before you get married. If you're that easily broken up, 
Let's get it taken care of before you get married instead of after two people become one flesh together and it rips something apart. It is good preaching. Because you, you don't, you don't, some of you, you don't know what you're getting into. Because here's how you've lived your life. If you're a single person, you've been carrying around your own little bag your whole life. It's like your little bag, your little backpack. And you know, you got your backpack and you got your little things compartmentalized in there. You carry this thing around and it's your bag. And the other person you're going to get married to, they got their own little bag. But guess what? When you get married, those two bags become one bag. And those little compartments where you've been hiding stuff, it ain't going to be hidden no more. And all of a sudden, you're, all, you're both now living out of the same bag. It gets interesting. And when divorce happens, that bag, somebody takes a chainsaw to it and cuts it in half. And now you're living life after divorce, dragging around this bag that has had some serious damage done to it. God can heal. God can restore. But I want you to see the significance of this. God hates divorce. He loves you, but he hates divorce. And as a church, we're called to champion marriage. Every one of us has a role in this. The fourth issue of the heart Jesus addresses is manipulation. Someone say manipulation. Someone say we're fixing the flow. Get that heart right, right? Matthew 5, Again, you have heard it was said of those old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is his great city, city of the king, nor shall you swear by the head, by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. What is this talking about? Well, here's what it's talking about. It's, it's talking about this tendency that we have to manipulate people to say things and do things and live a certain way to manipulate others so that we can get from them what we want. So that we can show them what we want them to see, get from them what we want and manipulate them. And we, we all, whether we recognize it or not, we all have a tendency to drift into this from time to time. Dallas Willard talks about this. He says, I love this. He says, why do people swear oaths? They do it to impress others with their sincerity and reliability and thus gain acceptance of what they're saying and what they want. It's a method for getting their way. It's simply a device of manipulation designed, look at this, to override the judgment and will of the ones they are focusing on. We're trying to manipulate, trick, and, and, and get people to think a certain way rather than respecting them and leaving their decisions and actions strictly up to them. Are you manipulating people? Are you saying things a certain way, framing things a certain way, doing things a certain way so that you can get people to give you what it is you want? Are you seeing people and even yourself as a source through which you can get what you want taken care of? Are you a manipulator? Let me say it like this. Are you being your own little spin doctor? Some of you don't know what a spin doctor is. Let me give you a definition. A spin doctor is a person employed to give favorable interpretations of events to the media, especially on behalf of a political party. So it's someone that's hired and their job is to, is to kind of make stuff look a certain way so that it looks favorable on the person that they're, they're, they're working for. Some of us have employed ourselves to be our own little spin doctors. If I say this, 
this way, if I, if I do this this way, if I act this certain way, if I give them some information, some details, but I leave some details out. <laughs> like I, there was an argument and this is my side of the story and, I, and I'm not gonna tell you their side of the story because I want you to side with me. I, I, I know you got some money. I know you got some influence. And so I'm gonna kind of let you in on how hard things have been for me lately. And, and, and so I want you to understand, like, this has been a, it's been a difficult, I, I could really use your help right now. I know you're busy, but man, I got, you know, I got this thing going on. It's been really hard lately, you know, with everything going on. But, but I don't want to, you know, if you're available, that would be great. It's manipulation. Now, listen, I'm not saying you can't be real with people. What I'm saying is what's the motive behind you being real? Is the motive behind your realness to get people to do what you want them to do? Or are you just simply letting your yes be yes, your no be no, just sharing what needs to be shared and letting people make the decisions they need to make for themselves? A, a heart that is for Jesus, a kingdom heart, a new nature person is not trying to manipulate others. They trust God as their source. And so they can clearly, cleanly say stuff and not try to trick other people into getting what they want. Amen? Here's the fifth issue, retaliation, retaliation. Matthew 5, 38, you've heard it, that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Well, they said this and that's why I said that. Well, they said that and that's why I did this. Or in other words, let me put it in four-year-old terms. He started it. <laughs> well, that's what it is. They said this or, and, and that's why I did that. They, they posted that and I could not just let it lie. I had to post something back. <laughs> Retaliation. Now, something you understand about the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of the world. People living and functioning from the kingdom of the world, they're not gonna stop retaliating. Like they're gonna keep fighting for the last word because that's the kingdom they live from. So when Jesus is saying this to us about like shutting this down, he's inviting us to stop the cycle of retaliation because someone's got to stop it. They ain't going to stop it. So who's going to stop it? It's a kingdom of God person. He says this verse 39, I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. You say, Pastor Josh, it feels like Jesus is inviting us to a life where we're just going to get run over. No, Jesus is inviting you to a life where you stop the cycle of retaliation. Because they ain't going to stop it. So we're the person that's going to say, you know what? I'm not just going to keep this cycle going. I'm not just going to keep building. I'm not going to be about me getting the last word. I'm going to let God's word be the last word and I'm going to let it be okay. Even if they've sinned against me with their words, sinned against me with their actions, because I have been empowered by the grace of God, that, that grace empowers me to allow them to sin against me without me sinning back against them. Yes. Isn't this what Jesus did? Yes. Let me remind you, 1 Peter 2, 23, when he, Jesus, was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Are you okay with that? Like, are you okay with letting God be the judge? Letting God who is the perfect judge really 
like handing it over and saying, God, I, I, I surrender this to you because I trust that you are the just judge. I wash my hands of it. I let your word be the last word on this issue. Jesus practiced what he preached and those who are a part of his kingdom can entrust him to be the just judge. We've got to fix our flow. Here's the last thing. He says, you're to love your enemies. Love your enemies. Big stuff, right? Verse 43, you have heard it that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Now, this, this one, along with all of these, it's important that you understand one of the things that Jesus is inviting us to in this section of scripture is this idea of being an image bearer of God. See, we were called to be image bearers of God. God created you in his image and your original design was that you would live out that image to the world. But sin entered the world, and because of sin, our ability to image bear was, was eliminated. And so Jesus came, and he died on the cross for our sins, and he made it possible so that now we can receive of his new nature, right? And, and out of that new nature, now we can live, because that new nature is his nature. It's him, it's God, it's Christ in you, the hope of glory. You can now live from that new nature, and you can show that nature to the world around you. You can be an image bearer of God. So part of, of what this looks like is loving your enemies. Why? Well, look at what he says. He says, so may you, you may be sons of your father in heaven. So that when people look at you and you're doing stuff different, they would say, you're a part of a different family. Like you don't look like the rest of us. And really that's what all this stuff is about. It's about living from a different kingdom mindset, living from a different flow of the heart allowing the character of God and the nature of God and the virtues of Jesus, allowing that stuff to permeate our heart, to be pumping in us, through us, into the world around us. Jesus says this, verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even tax collectors do so? In other words, what Jesus is saying is, hey, for you to love somebody who loves you back, that's just you being polite. Like, there's nothing like unique about that. Somebody does good for you and you do good back to them, that's not distinct. That's good human manners. But Jesus, but, but, but someone does bad to you, someone does you wrong, and you love them, and you pray for them, when you do that, you're moving beyond human nature. You're moving beyond human reasoning into something divine called the kingdom of God. And you're displaying for people this image of God, Christ in you, the hope of glory, where people can now look at you and what they see in you is God's character and his love and his forgiveness and his grace is being shown through your, through your life. Matthew 5, 48 the last verse in this section of scripture, he says, he says, therefore you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. Now this is the verse where we can read it and we go, oh, okay, yes, okay, now it all makes sense. This is the grace part. 
because we can't be perfect. We can't be faultless. We can't be flawless. And so I get it. Jesus is saying, you know, when your people are going to be, they're going to make you angry. People are going to do you wrong. People, you're not going to be able to stop lusting. You're not going to be able to stop doing some of these things. You're not going to be able to hand over your tunic when someone wants it and all that. You're not going to be able to do that. So that's great. There's grace and grace allows you to, you know, put on this grace and live from that grace and the grace is sufficient. So I will, I will sufficiently exhaust the grace of God. But if you're thinking that, listen, you're not really understanding the heart of what Jesus is saying. Because understand this, the grace of God is not an excuse to, to dismiss the transformation that God wants to bring to your life. The grace of God, one of the roles of the grace of God is to empower you to live out the transformed life, to strengthen you and empower you to be able to do it. So, so get this, when Jesus says be perfect, he's not saying be perfect in a sense of, like be faultless and flawless. He's saying be perfect in that. He's saying be complete, be whole like God. In other words, he's saying you're working towards becoming complete. You're working towards becoming whole. You're working towards looking like Jesus. You're working towards reflecting to this world a complete image, a whole image of what Jesus looks like in this world. And this is so important because there's an old saying, you've probably heard it before. The only Jesus that some people will ever meet is the Jesus in you. And so what Jesus is inviting you to is an, a level of obedience empowered by his new nature, empowered by his grace to be able to live out obedience that points people to the image of God. You say, Pastor Josh, isn't this gonna be hard? Like this feels like it's gonna be hard not getting angry when people are being like somebody calls me Raka and I'm just supposed to let that go. Someone wants, wants my tunic and I got to give them my cloak. I think it'd be easy. Stop lusting, stop getting angry, stop doing these things. Isn't that going to be hard? Well, yes, it could be hard. If you try to do this in your own strength, it's going to be hard. In fact, it's not just going to be hard. It's impossible. But the good news is God is not inviting you to do this in your own strength. The Bible says this in Philippians 4.13. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, let me help you understand this verse because a lot of people get this verse wrong. They think what this verse is saying is I can do anything I want to do and Jesus is going to empower me to do it. It's not what it says. When it's saying I can do all things through Christ, it's saying I can do anything that Jesus is inviting me to do, that God is calling me to do. If God's inviting me to do it, calling me to do it, if it's his will for me to do it, he will empower me to do it. If you're taking notes, this is worth writing down. The will of God is always possible because God would be a jerk if he invited you to do stuff and you couldn't do it. Like that's not fair. So he's not gonna invite you. When he says you can be complete and mature, be perfect as your father is, is because he knows you can do it with him. If you'll invite this new nature and put it on and keep putting it on, you can live from that and display this to the world. I love how Dallas Willard puts it in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, which if you've never read this book, jump on Amazon, buy it. Such a great book. He says, it is very hard indeed. He's talking about this idea of living this out. It's very hard indeed if you have not been substantially transformed in the depths of your being, in the intricacies of your thoughts, feelings, assurances, and dispositions in such a way that you are permeated with love. 
Once that happens, then it's not hard. What would be hard is to act the way you acted before. When Jesus hung on the cross and prayed, Father, forgive them because they do not understand what they are doing, that was not hard for him. What would have been hard for him would have been to curse his enemies and spew forth vileness and evil upon everyone. Look at this. God calls us to Jesus to impart himself to us. He does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. Jesus came to impart himself to you. That's what this new nature that Sarah talked about and I'm talking to you about this week is all about. It's about living from this new nature, this new character, the character of God that's inside of you, allowing his character, his goodness, his holiness, his forgiveness, his, the fruit of the spirit, empowered by that through the Holy Spirit, to, to live that out, called to his kingdom, empowered by him to pull it all off. This is what God's inviting us to. So, so, so get this, if you're not experiencing that, if that's not being lived out in your life, then you need to fix your flow. If the flow of your heart and what's coming out of you doesn't, doesn't look like Jesus, you need to fix your flow. How do you fix your flow? You allow the flow of God into you. You get a, a, get a blood transfusion. You allow the blood of Jesus and the work of Jesus to come and to be in you, and to live out of you. You get into the word and you study the character of God. You learn what the word of God has to say. You live from the word. You obey the word. You don't just read it and say, well, there's parts of it I like and parts of it I don't. No, no, you, you come fully surrendered to what God is saying through his word and you live surrendered to that, focused on that. Invite the Holy Spirit in you and out of that, all of a sudden God begins to day by day transform you, change you, strengthen you. And change takes place day by day. It doesn't happen overnight, but day by day you begin to become a person who's empowered by God to live this out. And your new nature is the nature you live from. And then it becomes hard to live that old way. It becomes hard to do what you once did because Jesus is alive in you. Somebody say amen. amen. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, Go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.